This is The Road Less Travelled, presented by Nikki Shea. Welcome to this week's edition of The Road Less Travelled Podcast. It's Nikki Shea, your host, back with you again this week. If you'd like to find out more about The Road Less Travelled Podcast, well, you can simply jump onto the website, which is fatcatmedia.com.au. You can also interact with us by dropping us an email, which is fatcat, P-H-A-T-C-A-T, at iinet.net.au. SMS, or you can give me a phone call if you want, on 0427528467. And as always, you can follow us on social media through Instagram and Facebook. Just search for The Road Less Travelled Podcast and that's where you'll find us. And of course, you can listen to through Apple iTunes. You can also do it through iHeartRadio. We're on Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. So make sure that you tell your friends and give us a like and a share and even a review. We'd appreciate that, a five-star review on Apple to uh, really get the word out there that this podcast is made in Australia for Australians. And if you're thinking about doing the big lap around Australia, maybe you've got a bit of uh, annual leave coming up or you've just decided, hey, we're just going to pack up and go. We look forward to hearing some of your stories and adventures and we'd love you to uh, to get in, in contact with us. And we hope that this podcast too gives plenty of people inspiration to get out there and see parts of Australia. And before we sort of get into this week's show, I've got to say a massive thank you to Artie Stevens from Radio Bayside. If you're in the Aspendale, Mordialic and Parkdale areas of Melbourne, make sure that you jump on to Radio Bayside, a local community radio station, and Artie Stevens has taken us under his wing and really given us some great mentoring. And as you would have heard with the new intro to the show, that is all thanks to this man, Artie Stevens, who you may know from, uh, if you ever hear his voice, from uh, Air News. Um, that's where he comes from and uh, really appreciate his support, his mentoring and just his advice. Um, so, Artie, if you're listening, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you are out there listening and you know some people down around that area, you can jump on to Radio Bayside and they've got uh, online radio services as well that you can listen to. So massive thank you to the team down there. On to this week's show folks and where are we? Where we are in Perth. Back over for Perth for uh, family reasons and this time we left the car and caravan at home and jumped on an aeroplane. Um, almost forgotten after COVID what that felt like but uh, air travel is back with us and this week we thought well while we're here in Perth we'll give you some insights into some of the adventures that you can do if you base yourself in Perth. So that's where we are this week on The Road Less Travelled. Welcome to Perth, Western Australia. So originating from Melbourne, that's where I was born, um, my journey took me to Perth about 20, oh, probably about, nearly about 28 years ago. So I uh, spent about 25, 25 years in WA making Perth my home. So I thought this week that we talk about six day trips as a starting point from Perth. And if you've never been to Perth, well, throughout Perth, you'll find rooftop bars, fashionable fine dining restaurants and hidden laneways coloured with street art that lead to basement bars and pretty hip cafes too. The glistening new Elizabeth Quay seats uh, 60,000 people at Optus Stadium and public spaces like Yagan Square have transformed the city in recent times. You can add the expansive Kings Park, the idyllic Rottnest Island and a coast full of beaches. It's really not surprising that Perth is seen as one of the world's prettiest and most livable cities. The first trip that I thought we'd talk about is Rockingham and if you head 40 minutes south of Perth it takes you to the pristine islands and reefs of the Shoalwater Islands Marine Park. 
and here you can discover an incredible array of marine encounters, from penguins and dolphins to dive wrecks and snorkel trails. With pods of dolphins regularly visiting these coastal waters, it's really a great opportunity to learn to swim with dolphins. And if you'd prefer to stay dry, you can watch these playful creatures from a boat tour as they ride the bow beneath your feet. And there's plenty of um, uh, coastal uh, tours that you can do from uh, from Rockingham and also further north. We'll get to that in just a moment. You can't mention Perth, as I mentioned in the intro, without Rottnest Island. It's Perth's idyllic island playground. Rottnest is just a short ferry ride from the mainland and a world away from city life. For such a really tiny island, this carefree and car-free area is a Class A reserve and it packs a lot of pleasure into a day. On its shores, 63, that is, yes, 63 stunning beaches, 20 beautiful bays and many coral reefs and wrecks really invite you to enjoy some of Australia's finest swimming spots. You can also, again, do the snorkel trails and surf breaks too. And on dry land, you'll meet the cutest mini marsupials found only in Western Australia. It's the world-famous quokka. Mandra and beyond, for those who love being on or in, in or in or on, wherever you want to be or under it, Mandra is a dream destination for wateries. Just 55 minutes south of Perth, there you'll find some of Australia's most spectacular waterways, including the Peel Harvey Estuary, which is twice the size of Sydney Harbour. And it's blessed with abundant wildlife too, pristine beaches, beautiful blue-green waters and a buzzing foreshore area. If you drive about 42 kilometres inland from Mandurah and discover the Dwelling Up State Forest, it's home to local wineries, cider farms and quaint campgrounds beside the Murray River. The Pinnacles, you can take a day trip from Perth to the other worldly landscape of the Pinnacles Desert in Nambung National Park. Following the Indian Ocean Drive, you can stop to meet friendly kangaroos, try sandboarding and taste Cervantes' most famous seafood delicacy, the Western Rock Lobster. If you're travelling between July and October, you'll see Western Australia in full colour as the coastal landscapes are filled with the blooms of spring wildflowers. Swan Valley and the Perth Hills if you take a probably about a 25 minute drive from the city here you'll find yourself surrounded by some of WA's oldest vineyards and award winning wineries and vineyards and microbreweries too many of the wineries offer alfresco dining or you can opt to fill a basket with gourmet goodies and head for a picnic and in and around the Guildford area or beside Bells Rapids are really popular spots you can extend your drive from the Swan Valley to the Perth Hills. It takes in the towns of Kalamunda and Armadale, gateways to the Araluan Botanical Park, wineries of the Bickley Valley and, of course, the famous Bibbulmun Track Walk. And now we head to one of my favourite places in WA. It's Fremantle. It's against a backdrop of the best-preserved 19th-century port streetscapes in the world. A day out in Frio is an eclectic and eccentric blend of both fabulous sort of artisan food, handcrafted beers, great coffee, there's quirky boutiques and lively music, arts and festival scene. You can duck into the Little Creatures Brewery there or explore one of the most hidden pockets of restaurants and bars in the West End. Another fun way to get to Fremantle is to take one of the Captain Cook cruises from the city along the Swan River to the Frio Port, and there's a good chance too of spotting a dolphin along the way. So this week I thought we'd have a little bit of a wander around Frio as part of our visit to Perth in WA. 
So Frio, as I mentioned, is a lively port city, 30 minutes uh, southwest of Perth and, of course, WA, and it's where the Swan River meets the Indian Ocean. So Frio really has something for all visitors of all ages at any time of the year. It really is a magical destination, and it's a pedestrian-friendly city too, with unique winding streets offering you a glimpse of a colonial and also a gold rush past in balance with a modern and vibrant present. It's an environmentally friendly city, alive with mystique and charm, and overflowing too with creativity. The locals love to celebrate it, so there's always a festival, maybe an art show, a new restaurant, a busker, theatre performance or something even more wonderful in store. On the edge of the Indian Ocean, Frio has a great ocean and river beaches to enjoy and the ocean sunsets are simply spectacular. The centrally located famous Cappuccino Strip has plenty of alfresco dining and coffee round making around the clock rather making Frio a real social hub. It has an abundance of community spirit and a real, also too sort of combined with a laid back atmosphere also available in this bustling seaside city. After sundown, Frio transforms, offering a lively and very vibrant nightlife with great selection of pubs, clubs, dancing venues, restaurants, bars, late-night markets too. There's cinemas, coffee shops and plenty more. It's a rich city with history, alive with modern cultures and as I said earlier, you can enjoy music and art, dance and all their forms. You can shop, swim and sleep uh, soundly as well. Eat well in your choice of over 100 divine eateries and of course relax deeply and enjoy life in Frio. It's um, Fremantle actually derives from Captain Charles Fremantle and if you have come to embrace the heritage of Frio and its iconic architecture of the era, the historical city of Frio has plenty of well-preserved 19th century buildings including the famous Roundhouse which is the oldest remaining building in Western Australia. Frio too has a historic West End where it incorporates the Fremantle Prison, Esplanade Park, Bathers Beach, Notre Dame University and the majority of historic and heritage buildings Buildings in Fremantle. Now, if you're like me and you know that I enjoy my history and museums, Fremantle is filled with museums offering educational and cultural rich experiences. There's the WA Maritime Museum, which is an on-the-harbour cultural experience. The HMAS Ovens submarine tour is absolutely amazing. There's also the old Fremantle Prison, which is pretty captivating. We'll talk about that in a moment. And I also recommend the WA Shipwreck Galleries for shipwrecks and finds of the sea. It's absolutely brilliant. There's plenty of entertainment, as I said earlier, beaches and plenty of outdoor pursuits, uh, nightlife and plenty of Frio music, and of course dining out is fantastic. There's shopping available too, plenty of accommodation um, as well. And of course Fremantle is known for its waterfront. It's busy and alive. It is an operating port city, uh, creating a bustling harbour ambience. The new WA Maritime Museum was constructed at what is called Forest Landing, and that's the museum housing the Australia 2 and 6 glorious galleries as well. Australia too, of course, famous for taking out the America's Cup in the 1980s. At Victoria Quay on the waterfront, you can find the E-Shed Markets, which house rather over 100 plus stalls as well as an international food court, the Historic Boats Museum and the Fremantle Passenger Terminal for cruise and naval ship visits. And Victoria Quay is also the ferry terminal for the Swan River and Rottnest Ferries and the Lewin Ocean Adventure. And I mentioned earlier that the Roundhouse, which was once the old Fremantle Jail, the Roundhouse being the oldest remaining public building in Western Australia, opening in 1831. 
It was built as a jail and was used until 1886. It had eight cells and a jailer's residence, which all opened up into a central courtyard. It was later used as a home for the chief constable, his wife and their ten children. It is now a popular tourist attraction enjoying panoramic views. The roundhouse is located in what is well known as Fremantle's West End in the Arthur Head Precinct and a headland overlooking the river mouth with uninterrupted views of Coburn Sound. Other buildings on Arthur Head include the courthouse, cottages and two lighthouses. The volunteer Fremantle Volunteer Heritage guys, Guides, they raise the flags each day and you can participate in the firing of the one o'clock cannon. This practice began in the early 1900s as a method of keeping everyone's watches aligned and therefore keeping order in the expanding colony. The issue of keeping clocks in time was only solved by the English clockmaker John Harrison creating the marine chronometer which enabled ships at sea to carry the correct time with them after leaving sight and sound of the shore. But you didn't know that, did you? From the uh, roundhouse, you can see the Indian Ocean. You get a perfect view of Bathers Beach below the cliffs and the cruise ships coming into the harbour. Uh, it's a bl- brilliant place to, to visit, a uh, really nice place and plenty of photo opportunities. The Fremantle Prison, it has won many um, awards and it's won, it won the 2011 uh, Heritage Award for Outstanding Contribution um, and Outstanding Heritage Tourism Product. Fremantle Prison is a former Australian prison located uh, in the terrace and approximately 200 metres east of the famous Fremantle Markets. It's on 15 acres and the site includes the prison, gatehouse, perimeter walls, cottages, tunnels and prisoner art. The formidable prison was built by convict labour in the 1850s and transferred to the colonial government in 1886 for use as a Fremantle jail for locally sentenced prisoners. Though it is called the Fremantle Prison, it's no longer used for keeping prisoners. It is open daily and you can do the Fremantle Prison tours available such as the Great Escapes, Tunnels, Torchlight and Doing Time. The Fremantle Prison was constructed soon after the arrival of the convict ship Skidian in 1850. The Swan River Colony was settled by free settlers in 1829. In 1849, the farmers petitioned the colonial authority to request rather that skilled convicts be sent from the British government. The first ship with 75 prisoners aboard arrived even before confirmation of the request was actually received. Edmund Henderson found on arrival that the town was unprepared and arranged temporary accommodation for the convicts at the Harbour Master's Warehouse, which is now the Esplanade Hotel. This was under direction from Henderson. James Manning and Henry Ray supervised the construction of the prison using convict labour from limestone quarried on site and construction began in 1851 and was completed in 1859. The first prisoners moving there in 1855. Now, Fremantle Prison is currently the best preserved convict-built prison in the country and became the first building in Western Australia to actually be listed on the Australian National Heritage List. It would be included as a nomination of 11 convict areas to become the World Heritage Sites, and that policy dictates that the prison is used for the benefit of the community without damaging the fabric of the site. Since 1992, the prison has operated as a heritage museum and by 2005, the prison was attracting more than 130,000 visitors every year. Probably most most known for uh, housing Moondyne Joe, which was Western Australia's famous bushranger. Moondyne Joe um, was known as Joseph 
Johns. He was born 1830, died in 1900. Although not distinguishable by outward appearances from the hundreds of other cells at Fremantle Prison, there is one cell which has a particular interest because of the picturesque way in which it's associated with Moondyne Joe. As as we know, he was um, Western Australia's most notable bushranger. He was not an outlaw, by, such as the bloodthirsty type as the Kellys and the scores of others who killed and plundered on the east coast of Australia during, of course, the last century, and was notorious more for his prison-breaking exploits than for his crimes. It was because the authorities found it impossible to keep Moondyne Joe behind prison wars, walls rather, that a cell in Fremantle prison was specially prepared for him and it remains there today as it was then when he occupied it. The walls of this confined space are heavily timbered, and I mean heavily timbered, and they appear to have been laboriously carved and patterned, but it's the triple-barred window which is of special interest. Moondyne Joe, he laughed at ordinary locks and bars and prison walls, but when he first saw the cell prepared for him after his many escapes, he must have realised that he'd never be able to break through the bars which covered the small window space. And Moondyne Joe wasn't the only famous prison escapee. The notable prisoners included members of the Finian Brotherhood. 62 Finians arrived in Fremantle in 1867. Many were pardoned over the years. However, in 1876, six managed to escape and fled aboard the Catapa whaleboat to New York. They actually got to New York in the USA. Brendan James Abbott is, of course, famous Australian bank robber. He was branded the postcard bandit by the WA police to attract news media attention. The bank robberies he had been attributed as masterminding yielded as much as $6 million, though a significant proportion of that amount was never recovered. The Fremantle prison escape that earned Abbott his lifelong notoriety as a criminal genius and ultimately led to his branding as the postcard bandit occurred in November 1989. Abbott and another inmate escaped by jumping from the roof over the high limestone prison walls in uniforms similar to Fremantle prison guards that Abbott had sewn in the prison tailor shop. When we come back on the Road Less Travelled podcast, we'll talk more about Fremantle in Western Australia. Back with more in just a moment. With over 15 years commentating throughout Western Australia and Australian motocross and motorsports, Fat Cat Media prides itself on providing sound industry knowledge plus versatile media experiences and our commentators can interpret what's happening on and off the track with reliable information obtained from within the industry, when it happens and as it happens. Fat Cat Media's trackside commentators have the ability to develop a perspective on the subject through research, experience, interviews and, of course, by attending events. The Road Less Travelled podcast is a proudly Australian, fiercely independent podcast hosted and produced by me, Nikki Shea, for Fat Cat Media. We receive no corporate payments, which means we rely on self-sufficient financial support. If you can and are able to, we would love you to support us via Patreon. Listen to the Road Less Travel podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio. You're listening to the Road Less Travelled podcast with Nikki Shea. Welcome back to the Road Less Travelled podcast this week, coming to you from Western Australia, in particular Fremantle. Before the break, we were talking about the Fremantle Prison, and it is one of the uh, one of eleven historic heritage registered uh, convict locations in Australia. And we were talking about the Fremantle Prison imposing 
building as well up on top of the hill in Fremantle. And you can actually do a tunnel tour too because in the 1850s, shafts were sunk into the limestone bedrock to provide the prison with fresh water from an aquifer and a tank also was installed in 1874 to offer the town of Fremantle an alternative water supply. Prisoners worked a pump to fill the tank which was connected to the jetties through gravity gravity-fed pipes. In 1896, a town reservoir was constructed on Swanbourne Street. It was fed from the prison by a sort of a triple expansion steam-driven pump that could take more than 4.5 megalitres per day from the prison tunnels. Prisoners relieved of manual pumping were employed to supply wood and actually stoke the boilers. The tunnels were closed in 1910, though the groundwater continued to be used for the prison gardens. In 1989, diesel leaking from nearby tanks was found to have contaminated the water. However, the pollution was largely cleared by 1996. The tunnels were open to tourists in mid-2005. If you have the opportunity, make sure that you do visit Fremantle Prison, and in particular... You can do the tunnels tour where you get into your hard hat, slip on overalls, lock into the ladder system and you descend down below the prison to explore a sort of a labyrinth of tunnels that were built by the prisoners. And if you are feeling adventurous, um, it's approximately 20 metres below the prison to explore the tunnels built by those prisoners. You can discover the original blast holes. There's bores, uh, oil lamp recesses and artefacts from the days when working in the tunnels was hard labour for the prisoners of Fremantle. Guides will lead the trek through the dry sections of the tunnels on foot before you actually board a replica convict punt to explore the submerged passageways accessible only by boat. Bookings are essential. You must be physically fit and the minimum age is 12 years and um, it's uh, a fantastic way to uh, to go underneath and the tours I think it was about two and a half hours that we did the tour um, and bookings as I said uh, they are essential for Fremantle Prison doing the uh, underground tunnels tour I certainly thoroughly recommend you do it there's also another tour that you can do at Fremantle Prison and this one you actually do at night and you will possibly need a change of underwear it's the torchlight tour where you join the guards in the dark as they entertain you with sordid and ghastly stories of life in Fremantle Prison the prison walls echo with stories of loneliness, pain and suffering and of executions gone wrong or the innocent unjustly imprisoned and the guilty punished you can join the Fremantle guards in the dark as they engage you with those sordid and ghastly stories but be warned these tours are not for the faint-hearted bookings are essential and they happen each night at Fremantle prison now Fremantle is West Australia's largest and busiest general cargo port and as I mentioned and throughout this podcast obviously an important historical site the inner harbour handles a large volume of sea containers vehicle imports and livestock exports cruise shipping and naval visits and operates 24 hours a day it's located adjacent to the city of Frio in the metro area the harbour consists of the inner harbour which is situated on the mouth of the Swan River the outer harbour which is 20 kilometres south at Kwinana in Coburn Sound that handles the bulk cargo ports, grain, petrol, liquefied petroleum, gas, sort of aluminum, mineral sands, fertilizers, that type of thing, and other sort of bulk commodities. And Gage Roads, which is the anchorage between Rottnest Island and the mainland. The inner harbour includes northern and southern wharves, wharves named North Quay and Victoria Quay respectively. All of this area is managed by the Fremantle Port Authority which is a government trading enterprise under the registered business name of the Fremantle Ports if you happen to see those sort of vehicles and, and that driving around. 
Now, Frio's port role began immediately when the Swan River colony was founded, but the entrance to the Swan River estuary was blocked by a rocky bar, which made the mouth of the river virtually impassable for seagoing vessels. The first steamship to enter the port was HMS Driver on the 4th of December 1845. Fremantle shipping was served by the long jetty that extended into the open sea where Bathers Beach is today, and cargo was offloaded onto the jetty and then taken down Cliff Street in Fremantle's West End. From here it was loaded onto barges that sailed up the river on the westerly sea breeze back to Fremantle on easterly winds, and later it was transported by rail. Now sailors disliked the long jetty, and in 1892 Captain D.B. Shaw of the American bark Sanarac described it as terrible. So British marine engineer uh, John Coode advised John Forrest that an outer harbour near Rousehead or one that would stretch south from Arthur's Head could be built. Coode ruled out building a port in the river mouth as he believed that it would be continually silted up due to the lateral sand drift. So in 1887, the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce, they pushed hard for the Southern Scheme to be chosen, but the colony could not raise the half million pounds which was estimated that such an initiative would cost. And by 1891, John Forrest was examining another proposal, which was an offshore facility at at Owen Anchorage, which was south of of Fremantle. By then, C.Y. O'Connor, Charles Yelverton O'Connor, had been appointed the colony's engineer-in-chief and decided that the best option was an inner harbour built in the mouth of the Swan River. The discovery of gold in WA meant a working port was urgently needed and Parliament finally accepted O'Connor's plan after much political haggling. The capital was raised in London and preliminary work commenced in late 1892. The first stage of the harbour works began with a ceremony in which the governor's wife tilled the first truckload of rubble for the North Mole. Blasting and dredging the rocky bar created a channel, dredging deepened the river basin and the two moles were built to protect the harbour entrance. The land was reclaimed so that quays and warehouses could be built. The inner harbour was opened on the 4th of May 1897 when the steamer Sultan, drawing just one foot of water, with Lady Forrest at the wheel, that was the first ship to enter the partially built port. There are two lighthouses on either side of the entrance to the harbour. The green-coloured South Mole Lighthouse has been in operation since 1903, and the red-painted North Mole Lighthouse, which commenced operation in 1906, located at the end of the western point of the harbour. During World War II, the harbour also accommodated scores of Allied naval vessels on active service. Battleships, troops, troop transport ships, hospital ships and supply vessels, including many passenger ships, were seconded in the war effort. And visitors to Fremantle during the conflict included passengers, passenger liners and converted troop carriers such as the Queen Elizabeth and the Queen Mary. Because of their size, neither was able to take up an inner harbour berth and instead they anchored at Gage Roads. Other well-known ships to visit included the Strathhead, uh, Strathnover, Orion and Ontrana. In 1940, boom defences were installed in the harbour as a security measure and anti-aircraft, insula- anti-aircraft installations were built. And by January 1941, an anti-submarine indicator loop was installed between Swanbourne and Rottnest to warn of any ships passing over it. Outer harbour defences included an anti-submarine net which spanned 9,000 uh, 9, metres 370 metres of seabed from Woodman Point to Garden Island, which was along the Palmelia Bank, as well as other indicator loop 183 metres further north. 
Following the losses of battleships, the Prince of Wales and the Repulse in December 41 and the fall of Singapore in March 42, many ships sought refuge at Fremantle and at times over 30 were anchored in Gage Roads. Fremantle's submarine bases was the largest submarine base in the Southern Hemisphere during World War II. The first US submarines arrived in Frio in 1942 and the submarine repair facility at North Quay the next year and until 1945, the port accommodated more than 170 submarines from the US, British, Dutch navies and the slipway on the southern side of the entrance to the harbour where the West Australian Maritime Museum is now located. That was an important part of the wartime role of the harbour. So CY O'Connor was a massive player as far as Fremantle is concerned with the building of the Fremantle Harbour. We'll talk about CY O'Connor in an upcoming episode of the Road Less Travel podcast and we'll talk about his amazing um what would you call discovery? No, his amazing um, engineering feat, we'll put it that way, of getting water from uh, Perth up to Kalgoorlie. But back to Fremantle. And the Western Australian Shipwreck Galleries at the Shipwreck Museum uh, is the foremost maritime archaeological museum in the Southern Hemisphere, and it was the original maritime museum. The displays there feature early exploration and shipwrecks along the treacherous WA coastline as early as the 17th century, including recovered artefacts and original timbers forming part of the hull from the Dutch ship Batavia which was wrecked in 1629 on her maiden voyage yet 1629 sounds like the Titanic on her maiden voyage getting wrecked the wreck was discovered in 1963 and her timbers raised several years later and I really recommend that you head to that museum at um, the museum also includes the entrance gallery there's a woodblock floor gallery um, dedicated to Dirk Hartog from Hartog to de Fleming the Batavia gallery the Dutch wrecks gallery and the northern gallery which contains information on the Zano so make sure that you do um, visit that it's highly recommended to visit the museum kids are engaged in the displays there's lots to learn and to lots to see it's excellent um, that's open daily and it's in Cliff Street in Fremantle um, when we used to go there entrance fee used to be entry by donation I'm not sure if that's still um, in effect but go and check that out another good museum uh, as you know my history involves um, not only maritime history but um, war history the Army Museum of WA it showcases WA's military history including weapons and vehicles uniforms, medals and war memorabilia from the pre-Federation period through to the present day the museum currently has five established galleries and a static display of vehicles and other military hardware located in the parade grounds. It's open Wednesday to Sundays and is located in the historic artillery barracks in Burt Street in Fremantle. Thoroughly recommend that you check out the Army Museum of WA. So Fremantle, a vibrant city, over 250 of Fremantle's buildings described as charming heritage sandstone buildings. They have been classified by the National Trust and there's over 3,000 heritage listed properties in the Fremantle area, including the Town Hall, um, the West Australian Maritime Museum. There's plenty to see and do in Fremantle. I thoroughly recommend that you head down there. Don't just spend a day down there. It uh, Do it justice by a couple of days to a week at Fremantle. Trust that you have enjoyed our little visit to Fremantle in Western Australia. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Road Less Travelled podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Love to have your feedback. Have you been to Fremantle? Have I missed out? I know I've missed heaps uh, as far as uh, places to see and do and adventures in and around Fremantle. But if you've been there, drop us a line, fatcat at iinet.net.au or follow us on social media with the Road Less Travelled podcast. My name is Nikki Shea. You've been listening to the Road Less Travelled podcast and I hope to see you somewhere out there on the road very soon. Talk to you next week. Bye for now. 
Thanks for listening. The Road Less Travelled is presented by Nikki Shea and produced by Fat Cat Media. 